This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Kent Daring Heineson, Adriana Ferguson, Antonio Sanciolo, and Marco Selmo, whose names, if all put together in anagrams, spell nose, baseball, hieroglyphic hopscotch pouse. So choke on that, hooked on phonics. This one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Major Spoilers proudly brings to you its once and future podcast champions of the world, the Rod Dog R.D. Lopez, the bald-ass Stevie Gunn, the mighty King Cobra. And if you ain't down with that, we got two words for you. It's on the air. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading this week. Yay! Got a lot of stuff on the plate, so let's get to some news. Archie's going to swap some genders in this uh, May. The Guardians of the Galaxy are going to get a movie from Marvel Studios. Loki's army is revealed. And Spider-Man meets Spider-Man. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see what happens. So it comes as no surprise that uh, we find out, or at least we think we find out, Mm -hmm. who Loki's army is. Uh, Last Mm -hmm. week in Los Angeles, they had the premiere of uh, The Avengers. And sure enough, not an hour after the movie, Mm -hmm. some people began tweeting and posting and sharing information that Loki's army is indeed the Shakiras. (laughs) No, it's the Chitaras. (laughs) They're Lionos... Faithful girlfriends, cloned and now what? is this a uh, is this a big surprise, Rodrigo? No, I, I believe we actually between the three of us called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you know it, that when they said when people were like, "Well, those look like scrolls," and then they said, "Oh no, no, they're not scrolls." We were like, "Well, they might be the ultimate scrolls." Well, it makes sense because Nick Fury is right, ultimate, ultimate Nick Fury. Nick Fury, really the, the and Captain America is ultimate Captain America. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, all that. Well, not quite. Ultimate Captain America is a little bit more, more of a douche. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more of a jerk than, <laughs> yeah. than this one. He's sort of like Glenn Beck with a helmet. Yeah, this one splits the difference, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we saw it coming. The other option, you know, Frost Giants made a lot of sense. Right. um, Well, Kevin, I think his name is pronounced Feige, F-E-I-G-E, Feige, uh, is like the producer of this. uh, Feige. Feige. Um, He said, "Ah, it's not important. (laughs) It's not important. It's just that Loki has an alien army. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we get to the reviews in a little bit, I'll talk about... uh, how well Lego or how well Marvel has done at keeping all the toy companies Mm. from revealing the secret as well. Right. But not not as well as Sony does apparently. Right. Right. Now here, there are some interesting things that, uh, have come out of this that maybe Matthew, you can provide some feedback on. Now, when we first got a good look, our first full facial look at, um, at the aliens, I had made a comment about, Oh, well, you know, that headgear looks rather familiar. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Phage has been going around saying, hey, you know, the, the aliens aren't important, except when he talks about the stuff that was maybe possibly shot uh, this past week as another ending credit piece. Mm-hmm. Um, we know, well, so 
um, Robert Downey Jr. Right. at the premiere. They were doing a press conference afterwards, and, and Robert Downey, Downey Jr. pulls a classic Iron Man from the first movie where, you know, he's standing up there at the podium, mm-hmm. and he says, and by the way, I'm Iron Man, and the whole press goes nuts. Well, at this press conference, Robert Downey Jr. says, and in about an hour, we're going to be shooting another scene for the Avengers. Thanks, good night. And, of course, Joss Whedon was like, no, 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 it's totally wrong. But then other people had kind of confirmed it, and then Feige kind of indicated that this that there was something that was shot that would tie into a much bigger presence mm-hmm. of revealing mm-hmm. who who's Loki ar- uh, who's Loki uh, how Loki, Loki got his army mm-hmm. or got his right. groove back depending on right. which way you want to go. Right. Uh, so let's see. We know that Loki is interested in the cosmic cube. Mm-hmm. We saw mm-hmm. the uh, Infinity Gauntlet in the Thor movie mm-hmm. uh, briefly in the background. Did Remember we? in the uh, chamber where all the treasures were. In one of the passing shots, you see the Infinity mm-hmm. Gauntlet for like a split second. And that headgear on those guys certainly looks a lot like Thanos' headgear. Then again, it looks like Kirby headgear. Well, that's true, too. Matthew, you want to get some uh, response on possible Thanos tie-in? Well, it'd be interesting. I mean, Thanos is one of those, and honestly, one of the rarer late Marvel Universe editions who has that kind of that iconic epic framistatory going for him. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely enough, he wasn't created by Kirby at all. He was actually created by Jim Starlin, mm-hmm. but at a point where Jim Starlin was essentially, you know, running with the Kirbys, if you will. Well, let's just um, say that even, even if Thanos isn't in this movie, you know, I did mm-hmm. mention that, um, or Phage mentioned that another movie that they definitely have on the plate, in addition to Iron Man 3, Captain America 2, another Avengers movie, uh, possibly an Ant-Man movie that's uh, going to go into production, that they are going to start production of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And uh, am I correct in saying that the Guardians of the Galaxy are mostly composed of Kree soldiers, Kree warriors? No. Or not? Well, it, it depends which no. iteration. The current iteration with the with the uh, talking tree and the raccoon that fires uh, I don't know that sausages that's, at I don't people. know that that's even the current. The the original Guardians of the Galaxy were um, they were from human colonies on Jupiter and Pluto. Um, I think Yondu was from either Alpha or Beta Centauri. But the 2008 team, the new team had Adam Warlock, who's from Earth, uh, Star Lord, who's from Earth, Drax the Destroyer, who's from Earth, um, Bug, who's from the microverse of Earth. I think Rocket Raccoon is from another planet. Jack Flag is from Earth. Moon Dragon is from Earth. Gamora is from uh, the planet of the green space babes mm-hmm. that Kirk likes to go to. Most of the Guardians of the Galaxy are actually from Earth. Mm, okay. Um, well, I don't know I was if thinking there are doing... any Kree in the current Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, because if you were using – and the only reason I say that is because one of the images I found when I was looking up Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy was the team ready to beam well, out and him saying Kree, you, something or count, other engaged. If you count in the Annihilation right, conquest stuff annihilation, before, right. before they were full-on well, Guardians of the Galaxy, there were – um, there was that guy with the hammer, and he was a Cree, wasn't it? Yeah, Roland? He's, yeah, that's uh, Roland, <laughs> Ronan the Accuser. Roland. Um, I, well, and uh, Captain Marvel's sister Phyla is uh, or was before she cracked. Uh, she's hmm. half Cree, and she was a member of the Guardians. Is there an Ultimate Guardians of the Galaxy? Have we seen that yet? I don't think oh so. hell if I know I okay. I haven't read the ultimate I, universe. I don't think well, there is so. the only reason I, I the only reason I'm kind of questioning this is because if these are indeed scrolls 
then if the Kree is made up of in the Guardians of the Galaxy, that would make a great tie into this greater threat to the, sure. to the universe in the Kree Scroll War. Uh, then I was watching uh, that fantastic uh, Avengers Earth Mightiest Hero over the weekend, mm-hmm. and apparently, mm-hmm. spoiler, Captain America <gasps> is a scroll in that cartoon series. Nice. Now, what? We, do, we also know that. Um, that they have said that Captain America 2 ties directly into the ending mm-hmm. of Avengers. Wouldn't it be wild if Captain America was a... It, it was as long as they played it correctly. Yeah, like yeah, if yeah. they say that Captain America has always been a scroll, that would really... No, 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 no. But I, yeah, up. but at some point... Right, he got switched. He gets switched, maybe in the Avengers movie, who knows. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just found mm-hmm. it interesting how they're... How at one point I was very disappointed that the studio wasn't following through in that animated series. And now they're starting to mm-hmm. tie some things back together with this reveal that Captain America and a few others are indeed scrolls in that no. cartoon series. So <laughs> the ultimate scrolls, Loki's army, or so we believe scroll to this will. at this point, I wonder if we're going to get the uh, scroll kill crew in this movie. Wouldn't that be cool? They're going out. Eating hamburgers. Really, no. Mm. The Scroll Kill Crew was a, a, a context <laughs> oh. and characters that really only worked in a, in a Warren Ellis kind of vein. <laughs> and you can't make a movie about a Warren Ellis character because if you try to buy it, they'll put you on a special watch list. Uh, you might. All right. <laughs> Any other uh, fascinating uh, Avengers movie stuff you guys want to talk about? A few more days. You, it's I, like next week. Oh, next week is what? May yeah. 1st? Mm-hmm. No, two yeah. couple more weeks before May yeah. 1st. Uh, May 4th is that Friday, Rodrigo. I think we should go see us some Avengers action or maybe see it on Wednesday if it's yeah. open here, if we can get into a midnight showing. Theater manager. You know what you could totally do? What? What's that? If you, if you, if you don't want to be at your crowded little crampy, uh, you know, backwards ass theater there on the edge of the universe, <laughs> you could drive. Roughly, no. well, at the, at the no, speed Stephen drives, no, an hour there's no and point driving. minutes. No, there's no point we driving two eat, and a half hours. We could to eat go. at the Red Robin, and we could have like you know a major spoilers bonding session, and we could go see a free. Oh well, movie. you know, uh, uh, Brian and uh, Rob yeah, but- and Brian <laughs> and Rodrigo and I already do that. <laughs> you should come out here and join the rest of us, Matthew. <laughs> I'm hanging up now. <laughs> All right, everybody. You Why can would I go over to, to majorspoilers.com and you can find out more news, a lot of Avengers oh. news. In fact, there's a lot of uh, some cool fight scenes. There's a Loki interrogation that goes on, uh, a clip that's been released from Marvel and Disney. And you can find that over at majorspoilers.com as well as a bunch of other news that's not Marvel related if that's your bent. Stick around when we come back. We're going to get into some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you so much to everyone who has donated. We've got such a long list of people who have donated, Rodrigo. I know. Mm-hmm. Going back months. And I the, mean, the names alone are like five miles long. I and, mean, you know, some of the people's names appear more than once because they're recurring don- donors. Right. Other people, you may hear yeah, like their it. name appear only once because they've made one donation. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to, again, as uh, as the voiceover guy said, if you want to get your name shouted out, just think about making a, a $10 a month uh, donation or more. 
Um, or he's the voiceover guy now. He is the voiceover guy. He's been demoted oh. from Scroll Brian to voiceover guy. Yep. We don't. Uh, we don't. At this point, when the scrolls are hot again, we don't want to get sued. Yeah. Exactly. That's All right. Sick. Let's get into oh, some reviews. No. We're going to get sued. Reviews. So <laughs> continuing on the uh, Avengers action. Uh, last we? week, Lego put up for sale. Their Avengers Lego set, part of the mm-hmm. superhero line, much anticipated, especially since uh, on the uh, DC line, we've really only gotten a bunch of Batman sets, plus that one Superman, Wonder Woman, Lex Luthor battle suit set, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the day that they became available, bought them all, because I was like, ah, I'm going to have some fun with this, yeah. and the boy's going to have some fun with this, and they arrived on Friday, about the same time people started saying, hey, did you guys know that the Lego sets of the Avengers were on sale? I'm like, yep, already got them. So I spent Saturday building them, and in this first wave, we have a Captain America's Avenging Cycle, which features Captain America on a cycle, mm-hmm. uh, not unlike the motorcycle seen in the 1970s uh Captain America movie. Right, right. Also features a little, uh, two little alien foot soldiers. And this is really great. This is what I like, uh, what Marvel and Disney have been able to do in these agreements with Hasbro and with Lego is that they've been able to keep the the name of the um, army secret. I mean, mm-hmm. right on the box, it says uh, alien foot soldier. That's mm-hmm. all it says mm-hmm. for these guys. Uh, at C2E2, when, they were sh- when Hasbro was showing off the figures, they just said Loki's army foot soldier. Mm-hmm. So they've done a really good job with that. Uh, then we have a uh, Loki's Cosmic Cube Escape, which tells me that Loki's after the Cosmic Cube in this ah, upcoming Avengers movie. And it gets away from him. Oh, there's also Hulk's Helicarrier Breakout, which is pretty cool because it includes the giant Hulk mm-hmm. figure. It also includes Loki caged up, so Loki must escape and must have the Cosmic Cube at some uh. point. It also features the Quinjet aerial battle, which is really cool because it's got um, the Quinjet, which is a huge model. I mean, it's got mm-hmm. something like... I want to say it has something like maybe 2,100 pieces maybe in that wow. set. It's big. And it's a massive, it's really heavy set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it also features kind of like a throne vehicle that Loki rides on with one of the alien foot soldiers. And um, those are all pretty good. Um, the The character count in this wave, and I'll talk about one more in a moment, is we end up with three Lokis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Three Thors, two Iron Men, one Hawkeye, no, I'm sorry, two Hawkeyes, uh, one Captain America, one... Black Widow. Black Widow. And one Hulk, Mm -hmm. which is just... Ugh, I hate that when, yeah, you know, it's I mean, like if you really want that Hulk are they, figure. Are they the exact same sculpts? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Each and one's exactly paint. the same. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same. That's how they can mass produce those. Sure, sure. Um, so it's it's really frustrating where you get, like, the Hulk is a really cool figure. It's a mm-hmm. lot of plastic. But in order to do that, you're paying 50 bucks to right. get that set to, to get that Hulk. But, of course, you get a lot of other pieces. Um, the sets are pretty well put together. I think my biggest complaint with the Quinjet is the fact that uh, not only is it massive, but it has a lot of weak structural points. So if you lift it in the wrong way, if you're in this age range of 8 to 14, it's going to snap right off. So I had to tell the boy, be very careful when you're playing with this, because if you hold it wrong, it's going to break and crash on the floor, and it's going to bust the pieces. There's also some functional issues that I have, uh, especially with the Quinjet set, is it's got three stages. It's got a cockpit, it's got a passenger area, it's got a bomb deployment area, and then it's got a loading bay in the back. And really... 
uh, minifig access to the passenger area is so limited that it's like almost impossible to get in there with my fingers. I'm sure my son can do it with, with mm-hmm. his littler fingers, but it is rather frustrating to get into some of these nooks and crannies. And then they include little pieces that don't make any sense. Uh, the Quinjet, for example, in the passenger area, there's a spot for a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. In, in the same way with Hulk's helicarrier breakout has got a little fire extinguisher in that set. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but did, okay, safety now, first. Did you get any shield agents? With, with no, this? No, there were no shielders. Because that would be There's funny. no Nick Fury, which would have been really cool to have a Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been very cool to have a, a, a Kobe Smulders or whatever her name right. is. Maria Hill. Um, Maria Hill. Uh, it would have just been fun to have an Agent Coulson an in Agent that Coulson, set. Yeah. You know, that those would have been really, really neat. In fact, I think what would have been awesome is if every set included an Agent Coulson. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. he's actually he's the character every... that has appeared the most yes. in all of these movies. Instead, we get another set uh, that's part of this Marvel superheroes line. Wolverine's Chopper Showdown. What? That includes Wolverine and a motorcycle. Uh-huh. Magneto. And Deadpool in a helicopter. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? I know. It's like, yes, you can Is see all of these as sets. Avengers? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. It's just called Wolverine's Chopper Escape. It's part of the Marvel superheroes line. Uh, I see. Um, but it's really funny to see this set kind of stick out as a th- sore thumb in uh, in this entire Avengers uh, set, where all the others are clearly ties into the Avengers movies. Um, you know, for the build. It was bad weather on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodrigo and I were talking about that. And Matthew were talking about that earlier. Uh, so the boy and I just sat around the kitchen table and put all these sets together. Uh, it took us about six hours to build everything. The Quinjet set is the most massive. It's got three different manuals to build the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know there's a lot of enjoyment here, whether you're going to play it as the sets are built or create your own stuff, or if you're going to have fun on Instagram like I did. And if you don't follow... Uh, major spoilers on Twitter. You missed that over the past weekend. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you missed the uh, the the hilarious images. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put those up on ma- Major Spoilers and make an article out of that, just as a gallery of fun activities. Uh, it's a fun playset. It's also very expensive for all these sets. The cheapest one is uh, twelve ninety nine, and that gets you Captain America and two alien foot soldiers. Then it goes up the line. Wolverine is nineteen ninety nine. Loki's Cosmic Cube Escape is nineteen ninety nine. The Hulk Breakout is fifty bucks. The Quinjet is seventy bucks. Wow, which is a lot of money. But again, you look at your kid's face and you know he's going to have at least ten years of enjoyment with this stuff before he discovers girls. Right. You know, and, I look uh, at my kid's face and I say, "Honey, you have a pretty face, but I'm not giving you seventy bucks." <laughs> Matthew, who is the, Did the Fantastic Four create the Quinjet? No. Okay. Tony Stark I, created the Quinjet. Okay. I was just curious because the uh, labeling on the Quinjet says mm-hmm. FF something something on there as the uh, hmm. as the piece. And I thought maybe they were trying to hint that the Fantastic Four had, had a hand in, in Really? The, yeah. What was it? Well, and that's just like the, it's just like it, the airline markers, you know, it like, may have been the black, may have been the Black Panther who did it, which is, a, you know, since he was a Fantastic Four character. Yeah, I don't know. I well, just thought I'd bring it up because I, I, I looked I'll, at I'll it. I'll just and I say said, that I will be. It'll it'll uh, please my inner nerd if they refer to it as the Quinjet in the movie, because it always stuck in my craw that uh, when the X Men movie came out, they called the X Men's uh, plane the X Jet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I bet this will be called the Quinjet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot of humor injected throughout this piece, mm-hmm. especially when you look at the Hulk's hella character breakout. There's a above Loki's cell. There's a place for two agents to sit and monitor activities. Mm-hmm. And on one of the screens, one of the stickers of the screens, it's actually Space Invaders that uh, that they're playing. That's that's how he breaks and, out. And that well, it may be. Um, and then uh, and that kind of ties into the. Um, uh, shoot uh, one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark sets mm-hmm. uh, from a while ago where it was the Ark of the Covenant chamber and you look above and there's C-3PO and R2-D2 mm-hmm. in the hieroglyphics which I think is pretty funny overall this these sets are nice they're a tad expensive yeah but I mean literally for hours of fun and if you really are into the uh, into Marvel Universe this might be a bunch of uh, Legos to pick up total you're looking at what is that probably about a hundred and 200 bucks right there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give the set overall four out of five. I think there's a lot of unnecessary pieces uh, in order to build up a part. It seems like you could mass produce a widget that is the particular shape that you need as opposed to using Mm -hmm. three separate bricks to build that up. But, you know, it's part of the creativity in the build and uh, the future uh, fun that you're going to have with this. So four out of five slices (laughs) of meatloaf or stars or Lego bricks or minifigs or in this case... Four out of five of my sets contained Loki figures. (laughs) So enough about Avengers, enough about Marvel. Let's uh, deal with some other comic book companies. And Rodrigo, uh, you've got something from Oni Press for us this week. a company that we don't uh, cover that often on the show. Yep. Oni Press. Oni Press. So this is Courtney Crumrin number one. Now, I didn't realize that this is like a second volume. Yeah, I think it's a second volume, yeah. That this character has uh, has had a, a series before, but I think that the big draw to this one is that this one's in color. I think previously it had been printed in black and white. Okay. So uh, I went in, didn't know anything about the character, um, and I went in with my eyes halfway rolled because the premise is in a world where <laughs> magic is real yeah, yeah, yeah. and mysterious things hide behind every corner lies a story. That you've read a thousand times before, <laughs> um, but it it had some. I I, I kind of uh, changed my mind fairly quickly on it because the the important part of the story is kind of this interpersonal relationship. It's about the the relationship between two girls. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them knows magic, the other one wants to learn magic, and mm. starts getting herself into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um. And towards the end, you find that she actually has a uh, has a connection to Courtney, our protagonist, the girl who already knows magic, um, and and that she might there might be more to her. So you know, again, I went in thinking, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be Harry Potter all over again, right? And it wasn't. I was you know I was pleasantly surprised. I really like the art. Um. I really like the color of it. All the colors are very muted. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very cool. You know, you can you can definitely tell when you are in a spooky magical place, and when you're back in a high school or middle school or whatever these characters are. Uh, so you know, it's 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 definitely I'm I'm interested in seeing where it goes. Okay. Um, and it all takes place in high school, or is it a middle school? Or what's I think the... it's a high school. Okay. Um, and it, you know this the. This new girl comes into town, and at first you th- 
I thought that she was going to be the protagonist, but really she kind of becomes the antagonist. Mm. Um, at least as of this first issue, who knows where this is going to go. But um, yeah, it's all, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It, there's nothing really like offensive or problematic about it. So, you know, it's got a Y rating, they say. But, right. Um, not that that really means anything in, in comic books. Does it uh, bother you that this girl doesn't have a nose? It does bother me a little bit that she doesn't have a nose because everybody else seems to have a nose. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to figure out if she didn't have a nose because she mystically lost her nose somewhere along the way. But I don't think that's the case because sometimes she's drawn kind of with a little hint of a nose. You know, even in the the profile, though, she has no nose. Yeah, I know. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is there. You think because you, you have this third person narration, you think they'd be like, this is Courtney. She lost her nose to a goblin or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's really weird. Huh. Well, so, I do know that we are, we'll be looking at uh, Courtney Crumrin and the Night Things uh, collected trade right. in a couple of weeks. So maybe we'll find out more in that because that's volume one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all things considered, I'll give it uh, three and a half slices of meatloaf. It's, it's pretty good. I was interested. Um, clearly, I'm not the target demographic, but... You're not, a, you're not a Y? I am not a Y. Okay. All right. Check that out uh, out this week, I think, from Oni Press. I think so. All right. Thank you so much, Rodrigo. And over to you, Matthew, with Hi a there. scary My comic book Matthew. that I refuse to pick up at the stands because Ooh, the cover bothers me. Scary stuff, kids. Actually, you might be surprised. Uh, secret, number one, Jonathan Hickman and a gentleman named Bodenheim who I'm going to call Bodie and thank him for increasing the voltage on his shock treatments. Uh, issue number one of Secret has scary teeth and a legend that says teeth with which to eat on the cover. Now, Stephen clearly thinks that it's a scary, scary horror no, story. No, I just say, no, no, no. It's just the cover it is dis- looks scary. disturbing. Are you, so I don't are you afraid of it. teeth, Stephen? I'm afraid of dentists. At least they're straight teeth. I mean, imagine if they were my horrible fangly, I am teeth come to eat you. <laughs> My name is Stephen. The first page, story page, of secret number one is strong enough for a man, but made to avoid that obvious joke. And it starts in kind of a black and white, a gray tone. And all of a sudden, there's a big blotch of red. One character is colored red in the scene. So all of a sudden, a man is sleeping in his bed. He opens his eyes, and he's being accosted, and he's being attacked. And the use of color throughout this initial sequence is just amazing. It's a black and white, well, again, sort of a gray tone story, but the red is used as that impact color. So you see red where it's important. You see a big circle of light in the darkness and it's red. You see a character who's, you know, attacking and the character is, is all about the brutality and he's red. It's fascinating. And as I read through this, I was more impressed by the use of the colors than that first time around, and I actually missed bits and pieces of the story. Secret number one, I don't know if I would call it an espionage story, like a spy tale or a corporate espionage tale, but as things go through the story, we find that the man who was brutalized at the beginning works for one of the most powerful law firms in Los Angeles. And that law firm has a meeting with their security agency. And he says, he hands the the president of the agency 
an envelope, and the envelope says, this is my personal full assessment of your firm's security. And he opens up this envelope, and there's one page, and in little typewriter letter, written letters in the middle of the page, it says, it's shit. Forgive me. I apologize for the inconvenience. Feel free to bleep me as necessary. And, of course, beep, we go beep, through the beep, story. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> we beep. go through the story, and we find that not only has the security firm given him this, they proved it by breaking into the office planting a thing that uh, logged all their keystrokes, and they now know all the secrets of all the people who run this law firm. Cool. Including a, a fascinating sequence where the president is like, I'm going to call the police on you. What do you got to say? And, and she says, I say, Frisky Boy 15 isn't a password. It's a personality disorder. Really, really sharp dialogue. Great interaction throughout the story. The color use is amazing. You'll have like a page that's entirely blue and then a big pop of orange color. Or anytime there's violence, you'll have a gray tone, black and white, and all of a sudden there's red. There'll be blood. There'll be a gun, whatever it is. The, you know, the bits that are meant to really, really catch your eye will be this dark vermilion red, the color of carnal shame. It's just really, really strong. And I'm not entirely sure, getting to the end of the story, if I understand everything that's going on. And it's not the, oh my God, I'm going to have to read this again to figure out what's going on. It's like, it's the wheels within wheels stories behind the scenes that I'm not actually privy to. Yeah. But the last, the last scene basically ties everything together it ties the attacks it ties the security problem this all takes place in washington dc so i suspect that we're going to see some sort of political intrigue as well this is really good i mean this is really well done yeah you know jonathan hickman i've really started to like a lot of his i mean he's been writing for a long time Mm -hmm. but it's only recently Mm -hmm. i forget what's the what's the other series that he's doing right now that i'm really drawn into uh um I don't remember. It he right did uh, the Red Wing. Yeah, it's not that. It's a it's a more well, recent one that's going on at the same time. Um, it Image or Marvel? It's I think it's over at Marvel. What's he doing over at Marvel right now? FF Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Fantastic Four. He just you know he's becoming one of my new favorite writers. Mm-hmm. And the art on this issue is fascinating. You know how we talk about that European heavy metal style art. Mm-hmm. Where you have that real, you know, that real depth and texture, but it still maintains uh, kind of a, a an artistic flair. Right. It's not necessarily something that makes me think of like Milo Minara or the guys that you'd see in heavy metal, mm-hmm. but it's clearly something that I feel is influenced by that that you know, kind of like Juan Jose Rip, who did Crossed, and all of the guys who worked for heavy metal back in the eighties when we were kids, and Rodrigo was not alive yet. Is uh is Jonathan is Hickman? It, he's doing the Manhattan Project. Manhattan that's the one Project, I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the other one. Yeah. And um, th- this is really good. I mean, I read this the same day that I read issue two of Saga, which uh, anybody who's seen my review of Saga on the website was like, you know, can you can tell I'm kind of gushing. These were equally good books. This is five slice of meatloaf material. This is a really strong open. The art is just stellar. I'm really entertained by the whole you know, kind of an Ocean's Eleven vibe where we don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's even a limited series or an ongoing. This issue just says secret number one, April mm-hmm. 2012. Mm-hmm. 
you know, really, really strong. It, it's funny if you look at the uh, major spoiler staff picks, and if you're not familiar, listeners, with what the staff picks are, every Tuesday, uh, the major spoiler staff, uh, most if not all of the writers who write for the site, uh, give their breakdown of what books we would recommend for you to pick up this week. And as I go down the list, um, Jonathan Hickman's name appears multiple times. Hickman. Uh, you've got Manhattan Projects number two. Hickman. You've got uh, Saga, uh, which is there. You've got Saga is Brian K. Vaughn. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian K. Vaughn on that one. Uh, but I know Hickman has got like I think two or three books in the list yeah. this week at least uh, where yeah. his name appears. So that's that's why I'm kind of digging on on what he's doing that, this week. Yeah, that's very impressive. And this this is an example of a story that isn't. And I say this without the pejorative that it sounds like this isn't necessarily a comic book story. It's a story that's being told in comic book form. But, you know, so far, there isn't anything that you would say is necessarily a comic book element. It is something that I think could have been a television program, could have been a movie, could have been a novel. But they're choosing to tell it as a a, a comic book story. And I think it really works. And I like seeing something that isn't, you know... The adventures of Superman and Spider-Man in their tiny shared universes, mm-hmm. which don't get me wrong, are wonderful. I love them. I read them and, and I enjoy them. But there's a point where you're just kind of like, okay, why does it have to be Superman and Spider-Man in their universes? And clearly the answer, at least, you know, from Hickman and from a lot of the books I've been picking up lately and a lot of the books that we're, you know, really, really happy with here at Major Spoilers is it doesn't have to be. That's, that's what I've been kind of preaching on for the last, I don't know, year at least or more mm-hmm. is that, I, yeah. you know, I've got a, I've got probably about a month and a half worth of books stacked up here. And the ones that are in this stack that are unread are the superhero books. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are being read are the, the non cape and tight books. So there's, oh. there, there's certainly a lot of comics out there for people to pick up and read. And, uh, they don't have to be superheroes and they don't have to have, uh, a, a huge universe that you have to know anything about when you step into it. I mean, the right. joy of the Manhattan projects is the fact that you mm-hmm. you're dumped into this universe where everything you thought you knew is wrong and you're exploring a multiverse and you're exploring the characters who were involved in the Manhattan Pro- Manhattan project in a way that you didn't, you'd never thought about before. Certainly you've got books like atomic robo, which is not superheroes. You've got saga, which is not superheroes. You've got, um, you know, a bunch of fantasy books. You've got all the stuff that's coming out from IDW publishing, which doesn't necessarily fall mm-hmm. into uh, cape and tights. And certainly uh, dynamite entertainment doesn't fall into cape and tights, but it does have the shadow also out this right. week. So, uh, who does wear a cape and tights? Uh, he wears like a trench, he wears coat. like a trench coat and a scarf. So uh, it's, it's actually a cloak and the tights are under his pants and he wears oh, okay. them because they make him feel anyway, pretty. Image comics is certainly uh, doing a lot of good stuff <laughs> with some cape and tights because mm-hmm. they do have invincible, but go and read uh fatal. Wow. What an incredible uh, saga that they have building there. I think that's Ed Brubaker on that one. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's plenty of stuff out there for people who, uh, who don't want to read the superhero stuff. So you just have to go out and seek it out. And you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, listeners, and you can find out plenty, plenty, plenty mm-hmm. of other reviews and sneak peeks. And you can go and, and read the question photo today over there, where every day we ask you a question and encourage your participation. And you can certainly And because even misspelled of, we call it photo today, which is even better. Day. 
Oh, today. Oh, they also, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, uh, one of our writers, Jimmy, was at C2E2 this past week, and you can uh, check out all of his coverage that he did there, mm-hmm. and his uh, lovely wife taking uh, all sorts of pictures that we have, a bunch of cosplay stuff up there on the site that I know Jimmy you Jimmy has a wife? To. Yes, he does. Been married for eight months, something like that, I want to say. Less oh. than a year. Wow. Less than I a thought year. Jimmy was like 17 or something. No, no, no. He's in college. Finish. I think, I can't remember if he's finishing up his master's or his I undergraduate. I think the same guy. Yep. Jimmy. Same guy. Same guy. Little Jimmy. Little Jimmy. Little Jimmy. Little Jimmy. Little Jimmy. <laughs> Speaking of little Jimmy, it's time. <laughs> Ask him about his recipe for spider soup. <laughs> little Jimmy make the best spider soup. Anyway, it, let's get to the poll of it's the week. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, that was a jerk move even for me. But it is time, Steven. What's that for? The major spoilers poll of the week, week, poll week, week, for the week, week, for the week, for the week. So, Silver Gray sent this suggestion and he just said, who would win Zatanna or Sabrina the Teenage Witch? And I kind of tweaked that a little bit, not just a fight between two magicians, mm-hmm. but when you think about them, both of these characters, Zatanna in the DC universe and Sabrina, what's her name, last name? Spellman, Spellman. Uh, over in the Arch universe. Both very powerful wielders of magic, right? Which can make them heroes, Mm -hmm. can get them in trouble, but also makes them very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So the poll of the week this week is between Zatanna and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which witch is the most dangerous? Mm -hmm. Rodrigo, go. Uh, Well, that's interesting. I I would say that... um, the most dangerous one is probably Zatanna. Why is that? Because of the lack of a mystical support structure, mm. which Sabrina seems to have plenty of. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's not, like, depending on when and how you're reading the comic, like, her dad's either dead or disappeared or around. Right, right, right. Um, but that's that's never a big deal. And she tends to be, like, the one magical character in a group of non-magical characters. Mm-hmm. So it's not like anybody's going to say, you know, Zatanna, you probably shouldn't do that. I mean, they did that once, and that was a huge deal, you know, with Christ. Yeah, it was poorly right. done. Right. Um, poor Batman. Poor Batman. So, you know, Sabrina, on the other hand, is equally powerful in so far as magic in a lot of these comics is just like, hey, let's do this instead right. of having any sort of defined group of characteristics that that, that put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she's got a cat that, you know, gives her some advice. She's got family that gives her some advice. She can go to uh, witch school. Mm-hmm. That gives her, you know, some training and stuff like that. I think that that makes Sabrina a little bit more of a stable uh, spellcaster than mm. Zatanna. Mm. Okay. Um, I get Matthew. What about you? See, I am not as familiar with alternate versions of Zatanna. I think that probably your first Zatanna came with the Paul Dini version from Batman the Animated Series, in theory. And I'm not as familiar with the television version, much as I love Melissa Joan Hart, of Sabrina. So I'm going based on the comics that I have read, which is, you know, many. And I said that the more dangerous of the two is actually Sabrina. And here's why. Zatanna has been trained by her father 
to basically not only use her magic, but mask her magic as stage magic. Right. So she has basically, she's been groomed her whole life to control and manipulate her magic and to use other means to hide her magic. Zatanna's magic generally tends to be relatively limited. I mean, the probably the thing that she's most known for these days is affecting the memory of Dr. Light. So basically, she messed with the guy's neurons. She can, you know, silence somebody mystically. She can cause things to teleport here back and forth. She exists in a world where Superman exists and has these magical powers and is taken to be on a level with Superman, a superhero of, I would say, upper mid card power levels. Sabrina, on the other hand, can do anything. Sabrina can snap her fingers and accidentally turn everyone in the city into a living carrot. And while Sabrina lives in a family of witches, Hilda and Zelda aren't necessarily any more in control of their powers either and have wackiness going on. And, you know, eventually you get to the point where she's being manipulated by a warlock who's turned into a cat or she's surrounded with the groovy ghoulies or whatever it is that she's doing. Sabrina's magic is like like chaos magic. There are no limitations to what Sabrina can do with the exception of what was funny. And that makes Sabrina so much more dangerous to me because she's not limited by the rules of her universe, the rules of her family, the life that she grew up with. She lives in kind of an arc, an arcane chaos universe where witches hide because witches were, you know, eventually witches were, were hunted and hated and feared. And the reason why is because they're all lunatics with ultimate freaking power. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, it really depends on what your definition of dangerous is. I mean, some people and I, th I think looking at the uh, uh, comment section, a lot of people equate danger to power. Mm -hmm. So which one is the most right. powerful? Well, yeah, Zatanna, I think. Uh, a lot of people are saying Zatanna because she does have all of these capabilities and has control of those capabilities, which makes her dangerous. I look at dangerous as being which one is the biggest threat. And certainly when yep. you look at what Zatanna did to the superheroes and to Dr. Light and to the villains that was revealed as a retcon in Crisis, that certainly does mm -hmm. make her seem very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. On the other mm -hmm. hand, Sabrina the Teenage Witch... Well, I mean, and Zatanna can take down Superman if she wants. Or, or does Superman still have to. a weakness to magic or not? Yeah, I think he, he does, sort does. of. Okay, yeah. so she could take down Superman just, you know, like that. Mm. You know, Pots Nam's or, or whatever she's got to say. Um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, on the <laughs> other hand, is still learning magic. And she's not in control of her magic. And as we'll see in May in Archie Comics... She sees the boys and the girls fighting and says, well, let's see what it's like if they were in their other, you know, in the other person's pants. Mm -hmm. Snaps her fingers and now Archie's a girl and Valerie or uh, Veronica and Betty are uh, boys. Mm -hmm. And so that's going Valerie to Valerie might Sue. be a boy, too. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I mean, Valerie was a girl before. But we have a person who is more of a danger to those immediately around her. Mm -hmm. And that makes her even right. more of a threat. So for me. And she's a teenage girl who is right. at the mercy of raging hormones. 
Well, not the teenage she's boys are any better off that way. But I went with Sabrina the Teenage Witch because she's more dangerous. She's a dangerous threat to herself and to those around her because she doesn't have control of the magic um, as as the others do. So two for Sabrina, one for Zatanna. That is not how the rest of the major spoilers nations voted this week, Matthew. It is not. And I think that the reason that they did that is because they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, 180 votes is what I'm looking at right now. A whopping 83%, or in this case, you know, just shy of 165 people saying Zatanna is the most dangerous. I think that the question, it, it the question that seems to be being answered by the, the responses is who is the most capable? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabrina only 17%, but it may also have something to do with the picture of Sabrina that you have there. Cause that's, that's scary. <laughs> she looks like Phyllis Diller. Oh, no, she doesn't. All she right. Listen, does. if you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can cast your vote. And in look the poll at Phyllis Diller. And if you have, uh, any suggestions for the poll of the week, all you have to do is send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Or you can call the Major Spoilers hotline at 785-727-1939 and leave your suggestion there. We're going to take a quick break and listen to those uh, comments from the hotline. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Ratfist. Greetings and salutations, Major Spoilers. Cat Halo from the forums here with a couple of thoughts and a couple of flicks. Firstly, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin is awesome. Keep in mind, I'm a big Joss fan and a horror fan, so I was always going to like this movie. The cast, who were, for the most part, pretty much nobodies when it was filmed three years back, are all brilliant, embracing the respective stereotypes very well. The writing is amazing, it's pure Joss, it's very funny, pretty scary, and wicked smart. It takes every horror trope and cliche, embraces it, twists it, gives them a new context. Drew Goddard, who is a veteran writer of Buffy and Angel and Lost, makes a solid directorial debut, brilliantly balancing all the different elements of the script. So, while this may not be a perfect movie, I really can't think of any flaws. It's so meta it hurts, but that's essentially the point. Go see this film. If possible, without seeing any trailers or anything, but just go see this film. On the flip side of the movie coin, there's Battleship. Right up front, this is just a bad movie. In every way, a movie can be bad. The script is bad, with a really dumb story and very dumb dialogue. The acting is, for the most part, bad. Liam Neeson is criminally underused. What's-her-face, uh, Ribena, is obviously trying to be Vasquez from Aliens and misses. And Taylor Kitsch is just a little disappointing, especially as he's been reunited with the Friday Night Lights creator, Peter Berg. The special effects are kind of awesome, though, in a Halo meets Transformers kind of way. And I suppose there are very cool nods to the game sort of littered throughout. So in the right frame of mind, some fun can be had here, but only some. With expectations suitably lowered, you might enjoy this when it opens stateside next month. But don't say I didn't warn you. When will Hollywood learn and stop trying to turn games into movies? Have there been any good translations of games into movies? Mario, Dungeons and Dragons, Street Fighter, Prince of Persia? Nah, nah, I think not. But I can leave that discussion to you. You can find Cat Halo Movies on the Facey Space. You can find me on the Twitter book. And you can find me on the Major Spoilers Forum. Thanks, guys, and have a great week. Hello there, this is Sloppy. And my first comment actually has to be towards uh, Mr. Lopez there, Rodrigo. 
hearing you talk about the Flavin on episode number 401, just a quick little thing. I don't know why. Coming from you, that was hysterical. For Matthew, not so much because he... I've heard him do it many, many other times, and he says many other things that are quite humorous. But coming from you, talking about the Flavin, hysterical. Secondly, gentlemen, and for those of you out in listener land, particularly to uh, Raceland and to uh, W, I would like to make a mention that, hey, what you have going on this week, nice uptick in the forums, and I definitely wish to invite more people to come in, check out the forums. Um, always some interesting conversations going on, always some, uh, interesting play by post going on, and they're constantly talking about getting some more going. So anybody who does like that critical hit, any of you critical hitters out there, look at it and check it out. Enjoy. Have a good evening. Raceland here calling in with my review on Ratfist. Of course, this is my opinion in all contexts that could be provided by a list of likes, dislikes, and personality breakdown will not be. What will be provided is a primitive numerical ranking system all of you are familiar with. Ratfist was a web series by Doug Tempanel, taken offline and printed in one handy graphic novel by Image Comics. I got my copy through the Amazon link at majorspoilers.com and read it in one sitting. Now, that may not be impressive at 158 pages, but Ratfist having to drive the daily online readership and still deliver a compelling story arc impressed me. The humor is good and the story is well written, but sometimes it felt dated, suffering from my mystery science theater syndrome. Just to cut that statement, I, I love MST3K and enjoyed Mike Nelson's Ford. In fact, it was that and Doug Tempanel's Earthworm Jim that attracted me to this book. Normally, I would say this baited me in, but this title surprises and let me off the hook. It stands alone, and those with at least a couple decades on them will enjoy this one. I'll leave the spoilers to the guys, but I give Ratfist 4 out of 5. Well, thanks, guys. That's my review for Ratfist. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, just on a side note, I just wanted to say to Slappy and Navarro, thank you for your welcome on the forums, and I will see more of you in the future. Take it easy, guys. Love the podcast, and talk to you next time. Hey, this is a comment about Doug Knapel's Ratfist. Uh, the book is real poorly drawn, poorly written, terrible character development, terrible plot. Uh, I can't recommend buying it. I, I, I regret buying it. This is Doug Knapel. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who called this week, including that one guy who called in to say nothing nice about Ratfist. If you'd like to call in and leave a comment, a thought, an idea, a suggestion, all you have to do is call the Major Spoilers Hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939, the Major Spoilers Gender Swap Hotline. Yes, you can leave a message from That was my girl voice. Mathena. I'm a girl now, because I'm on the internet, you can tell, because I'm a girl. So, a while ago, we took a look at Doug Tenapple's... what is it? Cytech? What? Creature Tech. Creature Tech, which Creature uh, Tech. we all kind of enjoyed. Of course, uh, Doug Tenapple being the one uh, creator behind Earthworm Jim. Mm-hmm. Loved the cartoon series, mm-hmm. had the action figures, played the video Project games. Project Geeker. Yeah. And nev- the, the Neverhood, right? Yep. So now yep. we come to Ratfist. Yes. A different type of Rat vigilante fist. story. It always sounds like an insult. Ratfist, what'd you call me? This is an interesting character. And you know what's really funny about this is this is a webcomic, mm-hmm. as mentioned, collected into trade form, uh, which is great because you don't have to slog through 
150 pages on on a website. Although yeah, if you did, it like would probably be okay. Volume. Um, but the uh, interesting thing in this is that we don't have to get an origin story. Mm-hmm. But about I don't know, 10, 15 pages in, you're going. Wow, this is a lot like Earthworm Jim. And right about that same time, mm. Earthworm Jim appears in the comic itself, uh, which I found very, very funny. Yeah. But Rodrigo, give us a breakdown of Ratfist. You're more familiar with uh, this work than I think the rest of us are. Nah, probably not by much. This is actually, sitting down to read, this is the first time I've read it from beginning to end. I've kind of popped into the the site to, to check what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm really bad at keeping up with webcomics. Either way, uh, Ratfist is the story of this guy who is a uh, costume vigilante who dresses up like a rat mm-hmm. and goes around and investigates things. Currently, he is investigating the place where he actually works. Um, so he goes in and he's investigating it. And then all of a sudden he gets bitten by a magical rat. No. And gains rat powers. Rat powers. Uh, and also starts to look like a rat. So he is um, a rat. Oh, yeah. And then he he needs to go talk to his girlfriend. So he needs to have a mask made of so mm-hmm. that he'll look like a man. So he's a rat dressed like a man dressed like a rat. Yes. At certain points in the book. He has to cut off his own tail with carving knife. Right. He he freaks out because his tail <laughs> is freaking out on him, so he cuts it off, which then makes it so that the tail is able to talk. And, and the, the tail expresses. And then like, the tail becomes the voice of his in, his uh, most personal interior thoughts. Right. We're jealous of rich people. <laughs> our boss is holding us down, and we're not being paid for our good ideas. Yeah. I want to eat all the pie. Yeah. I mean, there's some... The tail talking is very funny, but oh, it's also yeah. kind of creepy in a weird sort oh, of way. Oh, absolutely. It's a severed yes, it tail is. that but, on several occasions helps Ratfist by spraying blood yes, on people. Yes. yes. Very disturbing. And they're like, I'm very offended. Monkeys. The, uh, the other thing uh, that, I, that I find very interesting in, in this story is that the character Ratfist is not a stable person no. or doesn't come off as a stable person. No, he's uh, really what what he comes across as to me is a total poser. Like he's got all these ideas of what he thinks is cool and what he likes, but he doesn't really believe in them necessarily. And that's that's a lot of the time where the tale comes in. Well, there's even I mean, when we talk about beliefs, which I think is what the what we end up with as the core of the story is mm-hmm. he's an atheist. Right. And he doesn't believe in God and he doesn't believe in really anything but what he can do. And so his talking tail bothers him. Right. The fact that there's a magical uh, talking tiki god right. or tiki a being, space tiki, space tiki uh, that has powers bothers him. Uh, the fact that he can travel through the past or the future, that angels are chasing them, doesn't bother him because he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in any of that stuff. Uh, and I, But, you know, he just comes off as someone who is... I don't know. The rat fist to me seems like a smash up between earthworm Jim and the tick. Hmm. Did you get that Ooh. Matthew or not? I mean, not in, I'm not I, saying it's a I rip off, but if him. you were to smash those two characters into one another, the resulting creature character person thing, maybe, would be maybe along the Arthur same. from the tick. Yeah, maybe and... that too. 
but uh, yeah, I don't know. I kind of felt like I think that the tick and rat fist do have some parodies of the same stuff, specifically that Batman vigilante thing, you know, the dark Avenger night, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I think this is, I, I don't know if I would get this so much as the tick, because even though the tick was essentially a joke, the tick was a, a relatively accidentally effective character and rat fist throughout. This is kind of a schmuck who's carried along by the plot and, you know, most of the time is done in by his own ego in the voice of a talking tail wrapped around his chest. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, the tick, the tick actually functions as a pretty decent superhero, all told, if you, you know, you count all of his victories up. But the thing that I really love about this and the thing that kind of sets it apart from the tick for me is that the tick always had more of a conventional comic book narrative. Mm -hmm. This is like pure stream of consciousness, Finnegan's Wake kind of thing. Yeah. Where uh, all of a sudden you'll, you'll see the character sneaking in and he's hanging from a rope and he's like, I smell tuna and bananas. What? Yeah. What the what? <laughs> yeah. And I think part of that is because this is a one page at a time webcomic, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're presenting one page once a week or three times a week or whatever, you kind of have to tell the story and get a punchline or a gag in nearly every single time. Mm -hmm. And for the see, most I don't part, see a lot of punchlines. <laughs> well, but I mean, you get a lot of, well, you get a lot of weird weirdness going on, which makes uh, that honestly, to me, that's the joke is the weirdness. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know, Matthew, if you were aware of that, if you were aware that this was like a one page, but this makes a lot more sense if you think of it about it that way, because a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the time, the story seems very like choppy, mm -hmm. and that's why is because mm -hmm. he's like trying to wrap something up in a single page or trying to expand something past a single page by like basically with the insertion of a punchline, and then the conversation can continue in the next page. Right, and you know I kind of like that method of storytelling. Um, it does make, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it makes things read a little weird, mm -hmm. but if you think about how it's presented in a different environment than one page right after another, um, it's the difference between reading a single issue and reading a collected trade paperback, um, when you're looking at the page and then the, the finished volume. Uh, and I, and I like that and I don't mind it. I, I didn't really find it that big of a problem where basically at the end of every page you're getting some kind of, you know, every page contains a beginning, middle, and end uh, to what's going on. Um, yeah, the Earthworm Jim bit. What'd you That's think of funny. that? Um, it was interesting, and I think it was. I I honestly think it was put there entirely for the people that you know when he, they saw him swinging. With that tail, they were going to be like, oh, this is just like Earthworm Jim. Yeah, 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 yeah. So before anybody can say anything, he's like, here's Earthworm Jim. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and Earthworm Jim is like, who are you? He's like, I don't know. And then they have the big bit and he's like, ask yourself, can you trust a grown man in a rat suit? At which point Earthworm Jim screams and runs away and is never seen again. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's I, I like gag. that part. That's more of that, that stream of consciousness. Well, I'm done with Earthworm Jim now. Let's go see if my boss is a giant cat who cured cancer. Mm -hmm. well, yes! And, that, and that's yes, the thing. Uh, the, you know, uh, Rat Fist wants so much to become a real boy once again mm -hmm. uh, that he's willing to break back into where he works and use his uh, magic tiki key carved out of coconut husk mm -hmm. 
and enter the magic room, which no one is uh, allowed to go into. But everyone who goes in transmorgified as a uh, as a furry mm-hmm. comes out once again as a as a human. And he wants that he wants that solution. But he gets in there and the uh, space tiki uh, feeds him a bunch of lines. Right. The uh, the space tiki is a space tiki from outer space. He is a he is a rough, roughly carved pagan idol from outer space. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and uh, he is able to separate the essence, like basically take out the soul of things and meld mm-hmm. them with other things. Mm-hmm. Which and, is essentially um, kind of how Ratfist right. gets his powers. Right, because earlier on, we find out basically that they lost track of a rat soul, basically. Mm-hmm. And Ratfist finds it, and that's how he gets his powers. Which makes the uh, Simeon Ichthus a, a little bit strange. First yes. I got bit by a monkey, then by a magic trout. Then I got bit by a trout. That's why they call me the monkey trout. Yes. <laughs> which, which, by who, by Get the way, your paws off me, you darn dirty ape fish. Which, which, who incidentally ends up actually assaulting Dogton Apple and yes. within the within the within this comic. <laughs> yes, and this book, you know, yeah. when you when we talk about a, a granted, this is a spoof of comic book, uh, superhero type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's fun whenever you can break down the walls and break down the barriers and actually insert, uh, the creator into. The comic book, very much like the creator inserted himself into our, our comment section mm-hmm. uh, a little bit ago. Um, but it also does bring up this, you know, this question of belief systems mm-hmm. is in here. Uh, Ratfist does, does not believe. Well, yeah, because Ratfist <laughs> will not believe that Space Tiki has the ability to inject a part of himself into someone's body and draw out all of the bad essence, or in this case, solve can- uh, cure cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, by going in and confusing the uh, the uh, cancer cells into shutting down and, and coming out of the out of the system, and I find that you know kind of real interesting because as the two are trying to make their escape, and of course they uh, what's his name Black Cat is that the big bad guy, uh, Mister Mister Black Oh Mister Black um, He is sad Black yes. sad. You know, we we bounce through some universes and we go to uh, uh, this point with this juncture between heaven and hell or whatever. And they're just like, uh, we'll be okay as long as the angels don't notice us. And Ratfist is like, but I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. And Tiki doesn't really care about it. He says, hey, run down that way and go into the future. You know, take the future door and everything will be okay. But everything's not okay when Ratfist arrives apparently four years into the future. Right. Give us a breakdown, Rodrigo, of what he finds in the, the wor- future. The world has gone to crap, Chili. Why? Um, <laughs> because that's funny. Yeah, because um, because Redfist succeeded in what he wanted to do, which was mm, to shut down the company, shut down the company, and and give it to the government. So the government has become this incredibly has has uh, become incredibly ineffectual in trying to run this company. Um, they were very close to curing cancer and have basically stopped all up op- operations. You know they've uh, gold plated their entire office and are bound in entirely in bureaucracy. Mm. And and there are stormtroopers. <laughs> 
with little. They're kind of like the way ears. Bruce Otter describes the MPAA. Now that I mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Which which is really kind of bad when he discovers that the one company that could cure cancer can't cure cancer because when he goes to find his girlfriend mm-hmm. that he wants to marry and wants to be with for the rest of his life, he goes and finds out that she went ahead and got married to somebody else, already has a kid. Mm-hmm. You'd think leads a pretty happy life, except that she she's cancer. got cancer and probably late stage cancer. Right. And so uh, Ratfist goes about a quest to try to fix uh, Simeon Ichthus, the uh, the company, uh, to try to get that, that cure for cancer, but it doesn't look like he's going to be able to do it in time. And that's when we get into, uh, back into the belief system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ratfist was bit by this magic rat that had the essence of the rat. And the end of the story... Essence of the rat. The end of the story has Ratfist releasing his essence and going into his girlfriend and coming back out and curing her cancer. Mm-hmm. And dying in the process. Yeah, dying in the priceless because he has yeah. to believe Basically in something. Basically taking her cancer onto himself. Yeah, he has to believe in something at the end um, in order to uh, save her life. So it, in a sense it does boil down to a belief systems question oh, sure. in, in this whole, uh, I don't want to say this was the point of the book. Um, but it does kind of come off that way, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. So what are your overall reactions to the story as a whole? Matthew? Uh, it's kind of my reaction to any story that seems to be told extemporaneously. It's fun. And the, the, the amount of coherence, I don't know. Coherence is the right word. Cohesiveness, perhaps that the story has is pretty remarkable. There are bits of it where you'll be like, just walking around and Ratfist is like, Hey, there is my friend who is clearly Muslim. Let's talk to him for a minute. Now I rip off my ear, you know, throughout the story, the, the, strictures of continuity aren't the point i don't necessarily look at it as a you know a gag a day strip but it's definitely something where each page has its own sort of weird quasi meta reality so you end up with like 155 vaguely related variant universes which actually comes across as pretty awesome and when i get to the very end i'm kind of overwhelmed by how how it ends and how where the end comes from and how it all comes together is really fascinating. And it's one of those things where it's, it seems like such a personal artistic work that you get to the end and you're like, did not see that coming, but I can't think of any other possible way that this could have ended. Which, which part are you talking about? The, just the fact that he the very, sacrifices that himself last, or and, just the last panel where it's the uh, Bible quotes? Both. Where he sacrifices himself and it, it suddenly ends with a Bible quote. And I'm like, have I subtly been reading a story that's about belief systems and religion and conditioning? And holy crap, I have. Well, but see, that's like the, the last 60 pages. Well, but I, 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 you know, I really wish we could have gotten Doug on, on the show. And, and Doug, if you're listening, you're welcome on the show at any time. Uh, from what I understand, Doug has a very strong religious belief system and there's nothing wrong with that. And... If you are someone who does have a strong religious belief system, one of the things that you do need to go out and you need to preach the good word and try to convert. And I have no problem uh, with that as long as it doesn't get too pushy. 
I didn't feel like this this webcomic, this this book was trying to be too pushy with religion. It mm-hmm. just kind of wound up there. And it's interesting when we get into the um, into the discussion that uh, Doug wrote, wrote at the end of his book where he's talking about what happened with the website and how it got to the point where the comment section turned into people just attacking him on his belief system and his use of religion in the comic mm-hmm. uh, and and trying to convert people. And he says, uh, the comments were no longer about the comic, but about me, my politics and my religion. I'm fine with that. And if it was exercised in a medium designed for that purpose, but Ratfist was a webcomic I designed for everyone. So I don't think he went out with a purpose of saying, I'm going to go convert Steven Schleicher into uh, my way of thinking. Right. Uh, I don't think that's where it was. As it ended up, mm, you know, I took at it and I read, okay, well, that's, uh, you know, you're tagging it with that one final page of the book and that's fine. If you choose to ignore that last page of the book, the story still holds up. Mm -hmm. Uh, It still, in my mind, doesn't become a a religious or preachy story, Mm -hmm. but it's about a guy discovering what he really is willing to believe in and... If that happens to be something of a spiritual nature, I'm okay with that. Hmm. Uh, you know, in the end, I think that Ratfist has a powerful message that gets really, really lost in all the zaniness. I think mm-hmm. that if you want to see a story written and drawn by Doug Tenapple that has a very strong spiritual vent- bent that is, uh, and that is very cohesive, you need to go check out Creature Tech. Right. Radfist for me just got really lost because they're you know all, we do get into politics we get mm-hmm. into science we get into religion we get into all this stuff but nothing lasts more than a page you know the, all of these discussions end up uh, being deflated as jokes mm-hmm. and then we get to the end and the end is very powerful mm-hmm. but that doesn't take away the fact that we got here through poop chili <laughs> and 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 for me that. That lost a lot of the punch of the book. I mean, I, I love Doug's sense of humor. Right. He's he's fantastic. He's a hilarious person. His drawings, just his drawings are hilarious. So mm-hmm. funny to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like this, this comic didn't have enough room to turn around. You know, it's like it was like mm. to, to back up and turn and go in the opposite direction. And go into a straighter you know? direction. Is that what you're right, saying? Right, right. Oh, okay. to, to basically go from humor to to, to that meaningful, mm-hmm. serious moment. You know, it, there wasn't enough room for the for that U-turn, basically. Whereas in other stories that I've yeah, read, I can see that because you know, basically it, it was wrapped funny. up in just what s- s- uh, less than a dozen pages. I'm going to say. Yeah, um, I mean, we could probably go in and count, but I mean from. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven pages. So less than a dozen pages wraps it up. And, and you're right. goes from being something that was uh, a screwball comedy right. into something that is very serious. A, like, the, the, the tiki goes, this is the reason why this is all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the reason why all this crazy stuff has happened. He gets some magic cheese, mm-hmm. and then after that, it's all him going and 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 you know basically coming to terms with all of this. But it 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 happens really fast after all that craziness. And I don't know for me it for me it fell flat. Mm. Um, now, but did you think that the did you think that 
the politics, the religion, those things were shoved in your face and being forced down your your throat? Because I'm someone who's not religious, mm-hmm. right? And I think if people haven't really realized that by now. I, I'm not. I mean, you can hear my discussions and hear me say that I'm not a religious person. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, when people get preachy, it really bothers me right. from a personal perspective. Right, right. Um, you know, don't get me started on Veggie Tales. Right. Uh, but this, I didn't feel like I was being forced upon, uh, you know, someone preaching at me. No, and and you know what, I'm, I when I see a good, funny political cartoon that espouses the opposite, you know, view of mine, right? I can usually laugh at it if it's actually clever. And right, you know, right. I don't. There's there's like a couple of random things in here where it's like it is him taking a political stance in something. And it's a stance that I don't like necessarily entirely disagree with, but mm-hmm. isn't you know doesn't match up precisely. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I see what he's saying. This is this is funny. And then the comic, it's I mean, the comic moves on faster than you can. Like right, right, as right, you're right. as you're like chewing on that. Like the next thing is like a, a, a you know a, a bunch like a, a a dog in a security guard uniform breaks out of prison. Mm-hmm. Matthew, are you the same way? I mean, were you uh, offended, put off, didn't mind? Did it even come across Meh. as? Okay. Did it didn't to me, which is why that last page was such a surprise for me. I mean, okay. it, there were discussions of of you know heaven and angels dressed like Luke Skywalker, and they you know they sent the the space tiki to hell and went ha ha. That was kind of cool, but I didn't necessarily find that to be much more than just background. Any more so than you know his friend being Muslim or the quote from the Wizard of Oz or the fact that. For some reason, there was a guy who was half rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there's one page where he just swings down and punches out a furry. Yay. Okay, well, all right, that's <laughs> I can that's, get behind that's that kind of a thing system. that happened. <laughs> but I didn't necessarily feel like you know, I don't feel like the artist's particular spirituality was something that was really heavily heavy-handed. I don't feel like yeah. it was something that. I certainly didn't notice it until the end, which, again, you get to that ending. I'm like, boong, hello. That is a quote from the Bible, hello. You know, and it works. And if I look at it just from the perspective of random, 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 we love you, you giant random cue, that ending works just as well. Because the first time I read it, I actually read it as a parody of the end of superhero stories that that parody of the end of the the Adam Warlock or the you know the Captain Marvel story where the hero sacrifices himself and here's a biblical quote over a you know a severed rat ear on the sidewalk mm-hmm. and I'm like is this serious is this a joke is it you know is it part of the whole random wackiness and it works to me on both levels so I don't feel like anything was shoved down my neck I, I think that you know yeah, I- I, I felt that same way. I mean, overall, is this a book written for everyone? Sure it is. Is it going to upset some people? Sure it is. In the end, the central character, in my point of view, of Ratfist, uh, has a very sad ending, but also a very uplifting ending, hmm. where, as uh, Skrull Brian's kid would say, he made the ultimate, the sacrifice. ultimate sacrifice. He made the ultimate sacrifice, but at the same time, he gave up what he would perceive his, I don't know, here goes, some people may perceive this as a spiritual term, his earthly happiness mm-hmm. of being with uh, the woman he loves, but he's more than willing to give up 
you know, being with her so that her family, and he's willing to move on and, and allow that to happen. So uh, it's both tragic and happy at the same time uh, in, in the way that that ends. I thought it was a, I thought this book was a decent book as far as the story goes. What about the art side? Rodrigo? Hilarious. Love it. Matthew? Wacky. <laughs> Uh, there's just something about the poses that he use, yeah. uses and the poses he even goes so far as to mock the superhero genre oh, once again with, absolutely. uh, with mm-hmm. rat milk, the rat going, what are you doing? And rat fist is in that Spider-Man pose going, I just wanted to see if I could get into this pose. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you know, even when you've got a, a, a talking space tiki or a talking rat tail, having a conversation, it's all done so well, mm-hmm. you know, even if yeah. it does get a little disgusting with a rat tail spitting blood on people. Um, it's, well, the, it's good. The fact that he has at one point a rat merged with the essence of a sea anemone yeah. in the hand of a man who is merged with the essence of a rat. And it is a clear, understandable panel. It took me, 13 seconds to explain what this panel just shows and you look at it and like is that a rat combined with a sea anemone in the hand of a man who's part rat that i mean that's an amazing achievement right there mm-hmm. taking that particular bizarre moment and making it clear and understandable and relatively awesome i might add yeah. is you know that's the difficulty that's the thing where you kind of look at that and go, okay, there's there's definitely some serious artistry going on. And when you say space tiki, I want you to imagine for a moment what a radioactive alien space tiki looks like, okay? Now, whatever you have just imagined, the very essence of it is on the page when this radioactive alien space tiki shows up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can look at this and I cannot, I honestly could not... Think of a way to draw a radioactive alien space tiki that did not look just like this radioactive alien space tiki. Yeah, I just I'm going through these pages in the art and it's just great. I mean, even on even on the full page spreads, which there's not a lot of I think there's less than six in the entire book. Maybe there's only two, but they they just work so well and the color works really well uh, in the explosive moments you have brightly colored backgrounds and in Mm -hmm. other moments when you're discussing concepts the background doesn't need to stand out and you don't have to add with uh doug's or uh doug's style uh or the artist style um you don't have to yeah doug's style um you don't have to draw a lot of detail in the background which is usually one of my big hang-ups is when you create a world that's flat where it's just the characters interacting in a in a colored background. Mm-hmm. But you know the backgrounds are colored in such a way where they're not always just a solid color. Right. You know, it it's a nice mixture of the the watercolors and the heavy ink and the painterly styles and um it it just it works really well uh throughout. I mean, this is a book that I'm glad that I bought. Um when Rodrigo first brought up Ratfist. Mm-hmm. Uh seems like eons ago. Um, so, uh, for me, I enjoyed this book. I think it's going to be a book that a lot of people will enjoy, but I also think there's a lot of people, uh, uh, that will potentially be turned off in spots by it. Um, this is not something, I don't think this is an all ages book. 
for sure. No. I'm not going to let my four-year-old read this at this point. Um, but down the line, he will probably want to pick it up and check it out simply because it has a, a, a monkey trout on the, mm. uh, on the, uh, on one of the covers. Rodrigo, what are your thoughts about for you? Uh, you know, for me, I, I really love Doug Tenapple's work. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've been, I've been a fan of his since Earthworm Jim. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, for me, I think I, I might've come into this with expectations that were a little too high because, uh, or, you know. I mean, every, you know, when you have an artist that's as prolific as he is and with uh, stuff that spans so many media, um, you, you know, there's bound to end up something that doesn't sit well. And and for me, you know, it's no, it's not something, um, it has nothing to do with a potential like religious issue or political issue or anything like that. I just think that for me, the, the, the story that he wanted to tell and and the things that he wanted to get across were fighting the medium that he was using. Right. Um, it's, it's basically what it comes down to me now, where they're absolutely uproariously hilarious moments. Yes, absolutely. Where they're panels that are gorgeous. Yes. Where they're panels that are hilarious. Yes. Where they're panels that are hilarious and gorgeous. Also, yes. Um, but in the end, you know, the story taken as a whole... I find was really at odds with the medium that was used to tell it. So it web it, comics. It, yeah. Okay. It, it ends up with a, you know, a, a kind of a, a lukewarm response from me. I think, uh, in his afterward that he has in this book and, and it's really worth, uh, checking out where he mm-hmm. talks about getting into the web comic and trying this out and, and failing and, and succeeding. Ultimately, he said he had something like 10,000 unique readers a day, which is really good. Yeah. And ultimately he calculates that 1.5 million people had read this complete adventure. Now you can't go over to, uh, Doug's website, which is, uh, ratfist.com. You can't read the entire web comic online anymore. You can only read up to the first 51 pages. Mm-hmm. It's been taken offline so that you can go in and, uh, and buy the the trade paperback, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, in a sense, I kind of agree with you that perhaps the uh, medium may have hindered the the reading experience. But I don't know. I guess it's just uh, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm personally I'm so used to reading web comics in that serialized format right, right. that it it kind of flows for me. Matthew, what about you? What are your overall thoughts of of Rat Fist and your your final thoughts on on Rat Fist? It's, I think it's aimed at a specialized audience. It's aimed at, to some degree, it's partially aimed at people who are webcomic type readers. I like, you know, the, the breakdown of the story, but I think what, not necessarily what Rod, echoing what Rodrigo said, but I think there are some issues with the story's content versus the the chunks the way that it's actually broken down here and it really feels a little bit like reading um when i was a kid the dc comics put out their dc challenge 12 issues written by 12 different writers with 12 different teams and each issue ended with a huge cliffhanger Mm -hmm. that the next creative team had to clear up and the cliffhangers got so ridiculous that by issue 12 they had essentially retconned the first 11 issues they didn't necessarily play by the same rules so if you expect this to be a comic book adventure, you know, a Batman type story, you're probably going to be disappointed. If you come in looking for Earthworm Jim style wackiness, I think you're going to be disappointed. 
if you come from Steven's perspective of I wake up in the morning, I have myself a beer and read 53 web comics, <laughs> I think you're probably going to be you're going to be right. You're going to be right on task with this. It's not bad by any means. I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to read this and having read it. I don't know entirely that it's something that six months from now I'll feel the urge to pick up. But I'm glad I read it in a way. It, it's, it's definitely an experience and I would say that you should at least check it out. Rodrigo, do you think you should check it out or buy it or or borrow it or what? Uh, I think you have a golden opportunity to go to radfizz.com and check it out and see if you like it. You can and, read and a then, fifth of the book. Yeah, and then buy it. Yeah, or a third of the book. Yeah, Whatever it is, 50, mm-hmm. 50 pages, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. 50 out of 150 would, is 32%. 30, yeah, I would definitely say head over to the website and check it out for yourself. But I enjoyed it. I'm glad I bought it. And at some point, I'm going to hand it on to some other people and let them borrow it and read it and see what they think for themselves. Any other thoughts, gentlemen, before we... And then tell them how they're wrong. Ski-daddle. Oh, no, no, no. There's a, there, there are pinups in the back. Oh, yeah, done by uh, some good creators, too. There's a, there's a really, really fantastic one just because of the words. Um, and there, it's, it's Ratfist, and he's got a crook hanging by his rat tail. And he says, I don't know it. The, the crook says, I don't know anything, I swear to God. And Ratfist starts to say, swear to me. But instead, the, the tail shouts out, we're atheists. <laughs> Yeah, I that's like, funny. I like the Ryan Otley one, which I think is I, I love Ryan Otley's work mm-hmm. anyway. But uh, in that, the in the rain really where good. he's like, ah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's some good pinups. Uh, uh, Scott Kurtz has uh, has provided some. I think one of the uh, pinups, mm-hmm. or no, not Scott uh-huh. Kurtz. Although he did comment on it. Scotty Young, Ryan Otley, uh, Christopher Hastings, Catherine Garner, Ethan Nicole, who does uh, Axe Cop, mm-hmm. and uh, Axe Cops who are are in there so yeah i felt i don't know if i felt an influence of axe cop but i think that axe cop is definitely in the same vein the same general sort of genre non-genre here yeah yeah and then axe cop made everybody in the world poop their pants Hmm. because he could all right everybody that wraps it up for this episode thank you so much for listening and being part of the major spoilers experience next week we're going to be taking a look at punisher circle of blood why because we know that you love comics and we do too and we will talk with you soon if you have any questions comments topic ideas for future shows or would like to sponsor a show send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com visit majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the major spoilers forum You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012